0: Hello and welcome to the This Week in Cleantech podcast. Each week, our host, David Hunt, speaks to a leading startup, CEO, executive, thought leader or industry insider in the cleantech sector. Focused on the clean energy and clean mobility transitions, each guest shares the highs and lows of their cleantech journey, their industry insights and their vision and hopes
1: for the future thank you again for the uh, recent feedback on previous episodes. We move our focus now from solar and microgrids to e-mobility and mobility as a service as I speak to Rob Jolly. Rob is co-founder and CEO of EVZ. He's a former Jaguar Land Rover engineer who co-created the electric vehicle subscription-based platform EVZ. Rob shares his journey from frustrated engineer to bootstrapping startup to managing over demand and scaling quickly. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Rob. Thanks for joining us on the This Week in Clean Tech podcast. Um, We spoke briefly at the Oxford EV Summit uh, along with your co-founder, Dan, and uh, it's fair to say that things are moving at quite a pace at uh, EVs at the moment.
0: Yeah, they are. Um, Yeah, great to speak to you. And um, yeah, things are moving very quickly. So very exciting times.
1: Good stuff. But before we sort of talk about everything that's going on at the moment, both in terms of EVZ and your thoughts on sort of mobility generally, you've got quite a traditional or perhaps a more traditional automotive background. So again, can you just give us a bit of a sort of a a summary of how you came to uh, your previous history and then how you came to create EVZ?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, So I actually trained up as a mechanical engineer um, and then worked before EVZ for six years in Jaguar Land Rover. So I came in Uh, As a traditional kind of engineer on the graduate scheme, rotating around different areas of the business, um, realized that actually the bit of engineering I like was the problem solving aspect and actually within a big, big company Mm -hmm. like JLR, um, working on a tiny aspect of designing one little bit for a car that's four years away wasn't what I was interested in. So actually fairly quickly over time, I realized that. I was more suited to the corporate strategy, business strategy areas of the business. So, yeah, after moved across and was working in corporate strategy for around um, three, four years, leading a team there, really looking into uh, new mobility, electrification, how that was going to play out with with the uh, JLR fleet. And obviously, they had very, very good synergy with yeah. how uh, Avizy's come about because, yeah, we, we were trying to solve, well, what is the... The issue in terms of trying to get people to move across to electric vehicles, the high cost of, of vehicles because of batteries at that stage, kind of five, six years ago. Um, but actually, the fact that people who drive electric vehicles love yeah. them, it's not a problem with um, the, the product being right. It, it is purely about how you get people to move across that method. So, I had explored within JLR actually. Um, Well, can we do this internally? It'd be great to have an uh, electric vehicle subscription service which moves uh, away from the long term commitment. Um, But it wasn't something JLR wanted to do with the iPace, which was the product, the the electric product that obviously we were working on at that time. Um, So I asked for permission to, to go outside of JLR and set it up as a brand agnostic kind of platform.
1: Okay that's interesting because so, obviously the iPACE is has really made a bit of a splash and that was in its evolution at that time but clearly this whole concept I think for OEMs to get around the fact that people aren't going to or don't necessarily just want to own a hunk of uh, metal on the driveway these days so w- what happened then were you uh, able to then still be part of GLR and do this external work or did you have to leave to, to go about that?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, we did a bit of exploring internally um, and it was decided, yeah, this wasn't right for the business at that time. Um, so I, I really just asked for permission to to kind of explore a little bit in the background outside of work time and, and yeah, and actually leave and, and set it up as a business. So that came about pretty quickly, actually, from kind of the initial thoughts to going, well, if this is going to happen, then it's going to have to be, my own project outside of the company and, and then doing a little bit of research. But pretty much, um, yeah, having to do that all outside of JLR at that point in time. Um, so that was kind of March 2017. Uh, started talking to Dan and my co-founder a very a good kind of background, more traditional background, you'd say, for going into start business. It was running his own digital marketing agency, a lot of tech background and ed tech. So yeah, yeah, kind of made up in um, the skills I was lacking in terms of going from a very traditional big car manufacturer to kind of starting our own thing and um, being very much within the startup unknown space.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly something I'm very keen to explore, but perhaps some insight having been within the large auto OEMs, I think that's one of the things at the moment, clearly you've seen lots of investment from uh, and even collaboration between Daimler and BMW and and sort of car sharing to, to some extent, but it's awfully difficult, I think, for an OEM who spent 100 years or more sort of uh, building and selling large bits of tin to sort of get their head around this, this transition that's going on at the moment. Did you have much resistance or was it just very slow when you were at JLR?
0: Yeah, it was mainly really that they they just had other priorities, to be honest. And I mean, you look at all the trends and everything that's going on and um, yeah, it's not surprising. They're trying to understand how electrification is going to happen at scale, uh, how the battery technology is going to how they're going to make it work at the moment in terms of the cost and cash flow, how they're going to adapt if autonomous vehicles come about, when that's going to happen uh they they've got to yeah move all their manufacturing plants across from being traditionally diesel to uh, especially that was a problem within um Europe to to then go well actually we've we've built this manufacturing plants for 30 years and now diesel is the enemy and and we're very quickly having to to change all our plans for that so i mean they're very much a uh, a big manufacturing machine that takes yeah, years for payback. So trying to react and move quickly to new trends is, yeah. is very difficult. And when the new trends are all happening at the same time, it's even more difficult to prioritize.
1: Sure, sure. So I'd like to go back uh, in a while to the, the startup process because we like to talk about sort of the startup journey, but probably useful for the listeners to know a little bit about the, the solution that you provide or in terms of the alternative uh, um, subscription model that EVZ offers. So can you perhaps share a little bit of... Um, of, of what you do and, and how that functions and, uh, and and the offering that you have
0: yeah of course so avizi is an all-inclusive electric vehicle subscription service and um, what we mean by subscription service is it's one month minimum commitment so this isn't kind of a rental product it's not a car sharing product this is you keep in your own car you're just not locked in for two three four years um we're, and we're trying to really remove as many barriers as possible and make it as easy as possible for people to get into and use an electric vehicle. So the package includes your car, it includes your insurance and, and maintenance and repairs. Um, it even includes charging. So we're, we give all, all customers a um, Charge Master Polar Plus card, so that's 6,500 charges across the UK. If you, um, mm-hmm. uh, if you take a, a Tesla, then you also get the supercharger network included. So uh, and the beauty as well is that this is all app-based. So we're taking the, the tech that has been used for years on car sharing and applying it to to more of a leasing type model. So the, not just is there no commitment in the sense of you, you can end your subscription if after a few months it's not working or you want to go on holiday or anything else, but actually you can swap cars as well. Mm-hmm. So if the latest version of the electric car comes out, why shouldn't you be able to upgrade um, to it? I mean, the, the tech is changing so quickly that, yeah, it's something that we feel is really important, that that people aren't scared to death of being stuck in with a, an old piece of tech when it is changing so quick.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know from talking to Dan and there's a, a huge sort of oversubscription or interest and understandably so. So we'll return to a little bit to the model and how that functions and what the future looks like. But going back to that sort of area of startup you also met Dan and who had a little bit of experience in in, in startup world, but you've come from that big corporate uh, Uh, environment so back in 2017 which is obviously quite recently what was the actual sort of genesis at what point did you say right let's do this and and what were some of the challenges you faced to get to where you are now
0: yeah so really the the big thing which was like right let's do this is when we we spoke to BYD who a Chinese car manufacturer um, managed to get hold of um, 20 uh, vehicles on on a lease deal that would be used because initially in the taxi market so we actually launched because of the type of car in the private hire market, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, in Birmingham. So I think when we got those car contracts, and we were going from, well, wow, this is, uh, yeah, the, we are a startup with no financial history. Who is going to lend us enough money to buy 20 cars or however many were needed? Having that lease lease still with BYD yeah. was absolutely a great first step, and the the decision then was made. Well, we can make this work. We can do this. Um, the other aspects we. We managed to pull together pretty quickly, but were, were pretty brutal, to be honest. Things like the the car insurance for fleet insuring um, when you're a startup, when you've got no fleet experience, when you're doing a, a more like car sharing type model um, with electric vehicles that are Chinese and no insurers ever heard of. Um, there were a lot of um, there's a lot of resistance early on, uh, but we, we got there. We kind of muddled yeah. through the first year and just about made it work. Um, With not very much money with um, myself and Dan and washing cars all hours of the day onboarding drivers 24 seven support line, which was basically the two of us. Um, (coughs) Sorry. And then, um, yeah, it got a bit beyond that stage and easier from then on.
1: Sure. I mean, those are some of the, 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 the fun things to look back on. But obviously, at the time, you've no idea as to whether uh, it will work. Uh, and then and obviously, at what point you're going to get some, some some money coming back in the door. So, But equally, it's a, a fun stage, I think. So that that must have sort of, uh, I guess, challenged, because again, some of these collaborations with, with co-founders must challenge your friendship. I don't know how long you've known Dan before starting the business, but um, yeah. Uh, um,
0: uh, yeah, there's definitely some, some fractious um, points that come because of it, especially when uh, there is just a couple of you and you're under such pressure in the sense of not knowing if you're going to be able to pay the bills. Uh, having hours sleep felt like we had newborn babies the whole time with the the amount of disruption in the night, so you're never going to get a good night's sleep. You're working around the clock anyway. Actually, to start with, for the for the first six months, Stanham was actually um, still in his own job, so he was doing evenings and and weekends uh I was working around the clock so yeah there's definitely situations where you think we are burning money here and we're getting no sleep we're not seeing our family or friends uh and and now we're we're arguing with each other because yeah it's it's difficult to actually make this work and and see (laughs) what the the positive outcome will be but um yeah we I think the big thing that we're extremely lucky with was we had customers from the get-go and like waiting lists from, from the start. So we, we knew there was appetite there and we knew we could see the, the end goal of, well, this has really taken off and has a lot of interest. So if we can get a bit of funding in and grow the team a little bit and take some of the pressure off us, it, it can really take off.
1: Sure. I guess that's just having a very clear vision and a very clear and a very large passion for, for bringing things to fruition, help you through those uh, stages. But they're difficult nonetheless. So, again, what was the catalyst? Because, again, you talked about very early you were focused on the BYD vehicles and, and the taxi market, but that's obviously very different now. So, again, how, what was the sort of bit of the genesis from, from that stage? What were the trigger points to help you moving to other markets?
0: Yeah, so I think for both the taxi market and the consumer market, um, we recognised really early on that actually electric cars were amazing. Um, I remember doing kind of our, our testing of, of different electric vehicles way back when um, at JLR, because obviously within product strategy, we were the ones that were pushing the i however many years, four or five years before it actually came onto the market. So, I mean, even yeah. back then when it was like first-gen Leafs and Zoe's and everything else, and, and obviously the Teslas, uh, it just blew my mind how, how good they were and thought, well, the, this is definitely going to be something that takes off the range will increase over time and it will become more palatable to the everyday user um but but the yeah. product is is amazing and it's such a shame that people are hung up on the fact that they're not sure about certain things and and they just need to experience it and get get actually in the car before um before making a proper decision on it. that's what we found with with private hire and um and just general consumers that as soon as um, customers kind of experience it and you, you remove the initial blockers, uh, it's yeah, we're, we have such positive feedback from it. And um, the, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely the, um, the market and the demand for it, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, as you say, it's one of those products that once you've tested it, you don't want to go back. And uh, I think almost everybody that you talk to that's, uh, you know, an easy enthusiast at some point was probably a petrol petrolhead. Or certainly in a large number of instances, I certainly was myself. And then you you come to realize, actually, not only just from an environmental point of view, but just from a product point of view, it's just better. So I think it's really cool what you guys are just sort of doing to, to enable people to, 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 to jump in and to try without a, a massive commitment but clearly uh, again from conversation with, with, with Dan and recently you, you've got a um, sort of a, a backlog of subscription almost to some extent and you've done very little if any PR much of it's been through through word of mouth so what has been the sort of business model in terms of going to market and, and where are you at at the moment?
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the private hire side of it definitely helped. We, um, we, we grew that through the mouth of working with Uber. Um, and, and then from launching the the mass market consumer, when the insurance price came down um, for us to make it kind of sustainable, um, it did just kind of unbelievably take off from having kind of 20 I3s as the first step kind of last summer um, to now being, yeah, the fleet is um, just approaching over 100, will be thousand over 1,000 by the end of the year. And that is with waiting lists, which are, are growing by the week. And, and our biggest problem is getting the cars in quick enough. So, I mean, how we've gone to market with that is, I mean, pretty much it, it's been getting the website looking okay. Um, and, and then word of mouth has spread, and, and especially on forums and other aspects of um, social media Uh, it just seems like um, our our customers are are in effect selling it for us which is yeah an amazing kind of thing we we weren't necessarily expecting but we yeah we have a referral scheme as well which is helping Um, but yeah huge organic kind of demand at the moment so in terms of a go-to-market we had a big digital marketing strategy we had a big PR strategy and then thought, actually, you know what, we'll hold back on this for a while and we've kept holding back on it.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, again, amazing. When you look at the amount of money that the traditional OEMs spend on advertising and and goes into tens of millions and then you look at Tesla, who who spends zero apart from uh, Elon tweeting occasionally, um, again, if the product (laughs) is right and the market is ripe, then you you don't need to, uh, to spend millions on trying to convince people.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: Cool. So how did, that sort of produces a challenge, though, I guess, because A, because you're a very young company. I know you're scaling up in terms of numbers, but you're a very young and very small team. Um Obviously, having no sales is always a, a massive challenge to to any business, but having too many sales almost or too much interest, again, is not without its challenges. How are you coping and how are you managing that?
0: Yeah, approach? I mean, it's super important for us to have the um, the right relationships with the car manufacturers and giving them as, as much advance notice as possible so we can get the cars in as quick as possible. But it is... Um, Really, it's, it's coming back to the whole supply-demand and trying to match that um, balance, which is always tricky and you know, you're always going to feel like you're not doing it right one way or the other. But at the moment, we're, we're just about managing and we're, we're taking some pretty big steps in terms of the, the finance which is in place, which unlocks far more than kind of a 1,000 cars by the end of the year. It, it kind of gets it closer to 10 times that amount. Um, and then it's just communication with the car manufacturers. So we're, we're really, in effect, taking bets on how many customers are going to be coming in and, and through the the kind of organic traffic and how that is scaling up as well and, and kind of exponentially growing. Um, so that we're, yeah, it's, it's something that it's always going to be difficult, but we're doing our best job to make sure that we're not going to annoy customers and, and have customers waiting like the traditional three to six months to get into a car like we we would prefer we've always tried to get customers into a car within yeah. four to six weeks um so so that's what we want to do going
1: forward too okay it's almost like we work with uh the hyperion a lot of uh, energy companies and there's an element of trading you've got to sort of hedge and uh, and predict what's going to come down the line without knowing for sure um taking a bit of a, a litmus test on the marketplace and then but you're, you're hedging obviously with with large sums of money and large commitments i'm sure
0: yeah, precisely. <laughs> and that's, that's where the um, you really need a lot of data around you to kind of make these decisions. And, and that's what we're basing our, on. We see it very much that, um, yeah, we can see the data coming through and, and that really gives such a strong indication of where it's going that we are hedging massively. Um, but we're, we're pretty confident on, on the bets we're making.
1: Sure, sure. And certainly, obviously, from the from the interest so far, then uh, yeah, it's uh, proven to be the case. But uh, how about sort of the broader market? Because you talked about at JLR exploring what future mobility might look like. And, and I say we met at the uh, Oxford EV Summit, and, and that's, uh, again, talking a lot around um, future mobility. So, obviously, you have a part to play in that. But where do you see the sort of the, the, the long-term uh, mobility service offerings? Because I guess, essentially, that would you know, an umbrella you would fit under because you're providing mobility as a service, albeit or, or that someone owns a vehicle uh, for a period of time. So, what are your views on perhaps the broader um, e-mobility or new mobility markets?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, massively interesting to, to see where it's going, and everyone kind of has their own own ideas of when it will happen and how it will happen. But I very much see that at some point, um, autonomous vehicles will obviously revolutionise um, how that sits, and you see the likes of car sharing. Um, on-demand, like Uber-type products, and actually subscription leasing, all converging, uh, and that's the interesting time when that happens. But the the real big question is, yeah, when that can happen? I've I've no doubt that in cities in the US, very blocky kind of infrastructure, um, it's going to happen pretty quickly. But when that happens in the suburbs of mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh, of cities in yeah the north and Midlands of England yeah it could be could be a while off um so how that kind of plays out over time and across regions will be really interesting to see um yeah I do very much think that car sharing um will will become obviously more and more key as that goes on and and be interesting to see how that challenges the likes of uber and and those type of models at at that point in time
1: yeah yeah i think in any city center um or or sort of highly dense urban areas it's 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 nonsense to own a car i think in 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 many instances but i should say once you start to get into the suburbs and beyond i think often people still need a vehicle but don't necessarily want to be having a piece of tin on the drive that's uh that's uh costing and depreciating so uh there's i should say there's an awful lot of business models and and things which will yet play out i mean from your point of view you talked about sort of the, the the north of england i know you're sort of based in london but i believe you have a pickup center in manchester what are your first and foremost what are your uk plans and then do you have plans further afield
0: yeah, of course. Well, I'm actually based in Leamington. I live in, in the Midlands still as a um, relic from, from being at Jaguar Land Rover, uh, but commuting down most days to London. I mean, yeah, we, we're finding we've got organic interests across the country. This isn't a southeast of England thing, although with the um, congestion ULAS zones in London, it's definitely sparking a lot of interest. Um, yeah, our plans are... Yeah to get to as many regions as possible. So a car can be delivered to any region at the moment. It it just is at the the customer's kind of um, cost to do that from one of our swap points. So we have swap points in in Birmingham, in Leamington, in Milton Keynes, in Bristol, in Manchester, obviously a few in London as well. Um, And really we want that to be that uh, a pickup or a swap location is... Yeah, within 30 miles of everyone so that it, it doesn't come hassle to, to change car okay. and to pick up a vehicle. Um, and that's something we, we've mapped out how we can do that over the next six to 12 months. Um, and we've not got too many concerns about rolling that out. That's the, um, easier bit to hedge, hedge our bets on, I guess
1: yeah 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 in terms of running a business a couple of areas that that are scaling and obviously both equally challenging one of which is the tech in terms of how you enabled the subscription service to work and the other is the finance which we touched on but perhaps we will explore a bit more about you know you're acquiring you know large amounts of uh, of vehicles and and no doubt obviously large sums of money are involved so how have you sort of evolved and developed the tech uh, and and how have you evolved and managed the the finances from bootstrapping as we talked about from the very beginning to now scaling up quite quickly.
0: Yeah, of course. So, I mean, with the the tech, it's for us the the big enabler for this is the keyless and the the tech platform. We've got some pretty clever algorithms running in the background to. To figure out um, exactly when cars are coming back when they can go back out again how long it'll take to charge everything else Um, but the keyless entry is something we right from the start two years ago made sure had to work absolutely perfectly so it's it's bluetooth and sms enabled so there's a lot of backup for you know you don't have to have signal to get into your car Um, and and really once once customers get into it Mm -hmm. it is super simple we got plans to make that so you don't ever need to get your phone out of your pocket. It works almost like the keyless entry on on car remotes at the moment that the doors unlock when you get within a metre of them. Um, And really, long term, you'd say, well, car keys are a bit of a pain to have in your pocket. Why, if you're carrying your phone everywhere, why do you need your car key? For us, it enables the the ability to swap cars on demand. So we're we're doing it for a reason of flexibility to the user, that they don't have to go to kind of a dealership or a rental office, pick it up in office hours, fill in paperwork, hand over keys, fill in a a little diagram on if there's any damage on the car. That can all be done through the phone, and it can be done 24 hours, so 24-7. So you can go to a pickup location at 3 in the morning and pick up a car if that's when you want to pick it up. Um, and it's really about enabling that that flexibility and, and ease of the service um, that, that we think is critical.
1: Again, it's that whole, again, not to break the auto industry, so I've always been a great passionate uh, fan of, of, of cars, but it's just changes on its head from the, the you know a very customer-centric uh, business model to um, one where previously you kind of put your money down, you, you waited for as long as it took until your car arrived, and then you'd have to sort of, uh, as you said, if there were any issues, you had to drive back to the dealership and, um, the whole model now, as, uh, as is generally in many areas, is all around making life easier for the for the customer.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, no, no one particularly goes in and enjoys um, haggling with a, a dealership. No one enjoys getting to an airport. And, and I mean, I'm saying an airport, not because that's where our cars are picked up from, but that's my experience of car rental companies mainly, going to an airport when yeah. when you're tired at the end of a long flight. And you've then got to sit and wait in a queue for half an hour. You've then got to go and fill out some form and get handed the keys. And it's just a painful process and something that we're, with the amount of changes in tech shouldn't be around anymore. And it is purely about trying to have that customer focus and, and see that actually what, what is best for the customer, not what is easiest for, for you as a business yeah
1: yeah thanks for that you reminded me on holiday next week and i will have to go through that exact process I expect. So. <laughs> okay so um yeah so funding again you bootstrapped from from the beginning um but now you've got large volumes of vehicles under your control and, and more coming so you know without breaking any confidentiality how have you gone about sort of uh, funding and, and growing the business and scaling the business yeah i
0: mean to start with it was definitely very difficult uh myself and dan and really with with some loans and um with a bit of family family and friends putting in a little bit of money right at the start as as kind of for shares taking a real plunge on us um but since then we we've grown and had some venture capital funding uh seed round of investment i mean with the vehicle side we we had to, to start with uh really in effect lease cars and and rent them um because no one would sell us cars on finance without seeing any financial history whatsoever um that then changed after a yeah. year so that we, we have started to to really use asset finance um, uh, and expand that. And, and we're now kind of at the stage where that asset finance can become very large debt facilities and debt facilities which can roll over to bigger and bigger amounts and be syndicated and go into warehouses and everything else. But financial products which um, you can only really get at scale. So we, we've been careful to kind of manage the... The growth in terms of customers and um and actually more importantly the supply of cars which is more hinged on the finance over time but uh yeah it is very much it's it's taken a bit of time and taking a lot no. of convincing there is not much upside for finance companies who who aren't investing for equity in you who are investing basically of saying well we we secured this money against assets we're buying a load of them we're expanding at this speed we're we got all these exciting plans there is no upside in it for for those guys they just want to know that that their money will be paid back over a couple of years so it's about trying to have that balance right. where, yeah, yeah everything we're doing is super exciting but also you work your money back it, it's not a risky bet for for them and that, that's the balance we're constantly trying to um to get with finance
1: Okay. Okay. A couple of things that come up actually from that. One of which is you, talk, you obviously we talked earlier about hedging in, in terms of future um, interest and, and, and number of vehicles that you might need. But it, once you start sort of acquiring the vehicles rather than leasing them, you've also then got to offload them at the right point. So there must be a, some challenges of knowing at what point the cars are coming in at, and at what point you need to offload those vehicles.
0: Yeah, precisely about managing um, residual values, which is a big part of. A big part of what we do and, and understanding, um, exactly when we need to sell the car for the right return. So yeah, it's, um, we're working with a number of trade partners to, to kind of defleet the cars. But yeah, it's a big challenge for mm-hmm. us as well is, is that, that secondary bit of, of the vehicle life.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a whole world yet to be discovered in terms of residual values on electric vehicles. Because again, there's, you know, as is always the case, there's lots of myths about, oh, they're going to fall off a cliff. But the indications so far are actually they're holding up very high uh, because demand is high and supply is low. So um, I guess that's a good thing from from when you're offloading that the residuals are, are holding up.
0: Yeah, they are. I mean, it's, um, again, coming back to the finance companies, they, they are very data driven. So for them, just not having data means that it's going to be a hugely pessimistic outlook on residual values. But I mean, everything that is coming out, I mean, there was a Times article this week, which, um, which showed how much actually residual values for EVs are shooting up. So it, it's looking more coding, but it can change so quickly. So it's just making sure we've got, Our ear to the ground really and, um, on top of, on top of all the data that's coming out of the market.
1: Sure, sure. Okay. So jump back to talk a little bit about bringing some money into the business beyond the sort of initial family support and your own loans. I think every startup that that, that is scaling at some point needs to to bring on money. And uh, at Hyperion, we mostly work with companies post investment, so they bring some money in and then need to scale. So, it, but but choosing the right investor or VC, private equity, crowdfunding, uh, institutional investors. There's there's an awful lot of Um, paths you could go down how did you and Dana navigate that and, and and how have you found working with a VC so far
0: yeah it's um I mean it's a really good sanity check of your business because they they do they have seen it all before and um they can can rip you to shreds if you don't know the information so I think for us it it was hugely helpful to keep us honest and and keep us doing the right thing and um, making sure we're not kind of losing focus within that. So really interesting. Um, Yeah, we had seed investment from Accelerated Digital Ventures, who are kind of backed by British Business Bank and legal in general. Um, And they've been hugely helpful investors and very supportive, very hands off. Um, It's always, again, a bit of a balance with vcs in the sense that the the amount of control they want and the amount of input they're going to add in uh and trying to find that balance but yeah Yeah. we've we've had a really positive um kind of amount of backing so far before that a couple of angel investors who again hugely helpful not not drilling down to understand when we're going to make profit not drilling down to to say exactly what we're doing each month but able to we'll feedback when we feedback and able to give us a huge amount of help and guidance on the way which is is really critical and, and what we want in investors to understand how we can scale this business up as quickly as possible without kind of falling through the the pitfalls that People have
1: already done before. Sure, sure, and I think that's always the question: is what, do, what does somebody bring to the table besides the money? Because um, there's always a way to get the money, but what else can they bring? What other values do they bring? But and also, what other challenges do they bring? Because uh, again, we want to have instances where companies are suffering under the uh, uh, not sort of either some some money that's coming from somewhere and the demands are high in terms of always having to manage that uh, relationship, uh, which detracts from the business. So these these are all challenges as a startup that you have to face, and sometimes you, you find yourself in situations that you weren't necessarily expecting. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It sounds promising so far. So, again, looking at the the future for you guys, which we talked a little bit about expansion beyond, I mean, do you see uh, other competitors on the market on the horizon? Do you see international expansion ahead?
0: Yeah, um, for both of those, yeah. Uh, Of course, there's other subscription services. Um, There's sure to be other more specific electric vehicle subscription services which will come about. Um, the, there's going to be movement into this space. already is in the US from the likes of rental companies and car manufacturers. Yeah, we, we're pretty confident in our offering and and in what what we do is being so customer focused and and actually focused on, on electric that that what we can offer is um, yeah is really yeah. something people buy into. Um, if other competitors come into the market, so. It's always going to be a worry, but it's always something where we're constantly looking to adapt and make the, the service better and better. Uh, in terms of international expansion, yeah, definitely. We're, we're weighing up kind of what countries and, and when, but yeah, it will definitely be um, in the not too distant future.
1: Excellent. Okay, we certainly look forward to, uh, to to seeing that. So your your journey, as you said, is, and and Dan, is, I think, is always a good dynamic in terms of some you know, people who come from different sectors and how people meet and and, and sort of uh, how that sort of startup creativity uh, comes to light. And in, from your experience, apart from being a, an engineer, obviously inspired in solving problems, on your clean tech journey or on your business startup journey, who or what has inspired you along the way? Are there any particular books or thought leaders or mentors that have really um, help you on this journey.
0: I, I really love reading um, the the kind of biographies. Say, reading Peter Thiel's Zero to One, Steve Jobs' book, uh, the the Elon Musk one. I mean, yeah, I could go on and on about them. I I find that bit of it fascinating, and and understanding exactly their customer journey. The um, Evan, the Snapchat founders. I mean, they've all done slightly different things and approached it in slightly different ways, but. That is fascinating and I find there's actually so many useful insights within that um, that that are helpful and applicable. But I mean, the big thing as well I found is having advisors and having people you can ask uh, uh, about things is is hugely critical because you, you just get too stuck in the details. Yeah, I'm sure you're probably aware of with all your ventures as well, David, that is someone taking a step back who's really smart, been there and done it. They they can see the, um, with, through the trees, so to speak, and, um, if you the advice, which you kind of, you're too close to realize the the obvious things that you
1: can do absolutely yeah you absolutely can get too close to the trees on on, on many aspects of your business and it's always good to have a mentor or as you say advisors uh, to support so, also a sort of uh, a very avid reader so happy to share on the episode page for for this podcast the some links to the books you've mentioned there um super listen it's been really uh, exciting to to talk to you. i've been watching you guys for a little while obviously uh uh, one of our, our NED is, uh, is chairman of Gridserve, who are now our partners and been very good uh, supporters of, uh, yeah. of you so far. So uh, it's been great to see the, the evolution. Very excited to see how things uh, progress and, and, and grow from here. Um, are there any sort of events or shows or places where people can see you, or what's the best way for people to, uh, to, to get in touch? Uh,
0: I'd say for now, just watch the space. <laughs> we're not as we're still not doing too much PR, but we yeah we got some exciting announcements and. Um, so, some big kind of updates coming up in the next few months so yeah keep, keep an eye on our website and um, yeah you'll see them in due time
1: super okay look forward to that and, and, and perhaps we'll pick up again in the future to discuss but for now thanks so much for joining us on the podcast uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day
0: yeah thanks david you too
1: I hope you enjoyed the episode with rob i'm now on vacation in italy for the next couple of weeks to enjoy some pizza pasta and peroni but i have some awesome episodes lined up for later in august and into the fall so please subscribe and you'll be sure never to miss an episode i look forward to you joining me again soon many thanks